Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up and welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Monday, August 28th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Hope everybody had a fantastic weekend. Today on the show, we've got big news at the reliever position. I mean that both literally and physically. The Cubs promoted Jordan Wicks and he pitched quite well in his uh, debut this weekend. We've got waiver wire moves, starter sit decisions, and much more. Before we get started... Help us out by liking this video and subscribing on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. Scott, let's unfortunately start with uh, that big reliever news of the weekend. Felix Bautista placed on the IL with a UCL injury. We don't know much more outside of that as of now. Obviously, hoping this isn't a long-term injury, no kind of surgery required, but... We'll see, you know, reliever that throws this hard. It sounds kind of scary, uh, but obviously he was amazing this year. 148 ERA, a .92 whip, 33 saves. Currently the number one reliever in Roto, the 20th overall player. That's how dominant he's been this year. Uh, the second reliever in head-to-head points behind only Spencer Strider. And now we need to figure out what to do. Who are the replacements here? And I think one of the obvious candidates is the player on his same team. Uh, Yanir Cano, who picked up a save on Saturday. It was his fifth save of the season. He's 54% rostered. He also pitched on Sunday, uh, had an unearned run, took a tough, uh, tough luck loss there. But your thoughts, Scott? This is big news, and there's obviously a pretty big replacement here in Yanir Cano. Yeah, it, so I, I mean, we we talked in recent weeks about how Felix Bautista is probably the best closer in fantasy now. And so, you know, I, we we obviously don't, like to see him suffer an injury like this. Usually when you're talking UCL damage, um, it, it means Tommy John surgery, in which case Bautista would be wiped out for all of next year too. Not always. I mean, it, it, it may be a sprained UCL, which is technically a small tear, but a lot of times it doesn't require the full reconstruction surgery. It just requires rest. So we'll wait and see what the actual timetable is for this injury for Bautista. But we know he's out for the rest of this year, if nothing else. I think it's safe to say. The good news, if, if you want a silver lining, is that there aren't many teams who have as obvious a replacement for their closer as the Orioles do and Yanir Cano. I've, I've said a few times this year also that the Orioles might have both the best closer and the best setup man in the game. Uh, Cano's been very effective this season. He's not the big bat misser that Bautista is, but a 160 ERA, a .97 whip entering Sunday 
for a guy who's been on the roster since the beginning. And he has five saves. So, you know, one of them, those came after Bautista went down, obviously, but he was, he was used as the backup closer at times this year. He's um, still available in half of CBS leagues. And I think he makes for a ready-made replacement there. Uh, And probably is going to be the top priority off on the waiver wire for, for me and all of my leagues. Yep. Um, where, where waivers haven't run already. Yeah, absolutely. There, big name in Yanir Cano this weekend. Uh, just sticking with the Orioles for a second. What else happens as a result here? DL Hall was recalled. You know, former top pitching prospect. He's expected to pitch out of the bullpen, so I don't think there's much there. Um, quickly on some other relievers that could be available. The most added on CBS this weekend. Obviously, Cano is up at the top, and he's still widely available at 54% rostered. Cole Reagans, who is a Sparp. 74%. Obviously, we talk about Cole Reagans quite a bit. Uh, yep. Javier Assad is also a spark, and he had a great, another great start this weekend. Seven innings, one run, seven strikeouts. Seth Lugo, someone I know both of us like quite a bit. He's up to 77%. And Kyle Finnegan, 65%. Scott, if we're just talking about the most added here, how would you rank them? Cano, Cole Reagans, Assad, Seth Lugo, and Kyle Finnegan. Well, interestingly, you only mentioned one actual reliever. So, uh, obviously... Okay, who, who was the other one? Cano and Kyle oh, Cano himself. Okay, yep. so you know the Sparps only make for decent replacements in a points league, uh, and so that kind of makes this a little unconventional ranking them together. Uh, if you're in a categories league and you're mostly looking to replace saves, obviously you'd go for Cano and Finnegan before you went for any of the pitchers, with one exception, I'd say, because Cole Reagans is just an amazing pickup if he's still available in your league as a starting pitcher. And if you can slot him in your relief pitcher spot in a points league, great. That takes care of it. Uh, I think he'll perform up to the standard that's required for a starting pitcher to, to measure up to a closer's production in a points league. Otherwise, I, I guess I'd go um, Cano second, Lugo third, Finnegan fourth, and... Who's net left? Assad. Yep. Assad fifth. Assad a distant fifth, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do need specifically saves, obviously we've already talked about Cano and Kyle Finnegan has been pretty dominant for the Washington Nationals. Two other names that are less than sixty percent rostered: Alex Lang. Looks like they've gone back to him in the Tigers bullpen there. And a role to Chapman. He's only 45% rostered. He had a save opportunity on Sunday. Unfortunately, didn't convert it. He gave up a run and, and took his, I think, fifth or sixth blown save of the year. But I still think the next save opportunity will go to uh, a role to Chapman when the Rangers have one. And then some names in deeper leagues. JoJo Romero, Tanner Scott, and Trevor May. Quickly on Tanner Scott, that's the other reliever news of the weekend. The Marlins expected to remove David Robertson from the closing role after blowing another save on Saturday. What happens on Sunday? Tanner Scott, save opportunity, uh, picks up his third save of the year. So a couple more options out there in deeper leagues. Let's rank all of them, Scott. If you need saves, Yanir Cano, Kyle Finnegan, Alex Lang, Aroldis Chapman, Jojo Romero, Tanner Scott, Trevor May. Lots of names. I think that's seven names. Oh, that's a lot of names. <laughs> I'm tempted to put Chapman number one because I think he's just the best reliever, but it's a little less certain to me that he will for sure be the Rangers closer the rest of the way. It certainly looks like they're leaning that way in, in a strong way. Uh, but I think I will go ahead and put Yanir um, Cano 
ahead of Chapman. So Cano one, Chapman two. Uh, let's see. I'm going to say Tanner Scott three, even though that's a little bit uncertain too. He has the big strikeout potential that we want from a closer, 12.7 K per nine coming into Sunday's game. So Scott three, then I will go Finnegan four, uh, Lang five, May 6th, and then Jojo Romero. You mentioned him, right? Yep. Seventh. Yeah, so let's just rattle that off again real quick. Yanir Cano, Aroldis Chapman, Tanner Scott, Kyle Finnegan, Alex Lang, Trevor May, Jojo Romero. And would you be okay dropping David Robertson for any of these names? He's 81% rostered. I guess there's a chance he could get the roll back, but there's not that much time left in the season, so. Uh, I'd be fine with it if you... If, if Yeah, I, I'd be fine with it. I, I hesitate with those bottom two, Trevor May and Jojo Romero, because I think it's likely they do they end up doing just as much harm as good. But yeah, if, if you need saves, they're more likely to give you them over the next couple of weeks than Robertson is. All right. Again, the big news from the weekend, Felix Bautista placed on the IL with a UCL injury. The Mountain. Get well soon, buddy. I say that as if we're friends and he knows who I am. Let's talk about the rest of the weekend. Wow! Hey now! Hey now! Hey now! That is a call from the Seattle Mariners, which, by the way, they are red hot. I think I saw they have the best record since July 1st, and now they're in first place in the ALS, so shout out to them. Scott, you're up. Player of the weekend. I'm going to go with Jordan Wicks, a recent call-up for the Cubs. He made his major league debut over the weekend. Uh, it was Saturday, actually. Left-handed starting pitcher. Looked great at the Pirates. Went five innings, allowed only one run on two hits. Struck out nine. That is a nice debut for a prospect call-up who didn't get a lot of buzz in fantasy circles. Had 13 swinging strikes on 80 pitches. That's obviously a great rate. Nine of those 13 strikes came on the changeup which was his most thrown pitch at 34%. And that basically lives up to the scouting reports. His entire arsenal serves to set up the changeup. That is his, his everything pitch. It, I mean, he has several other pitches. It's not one of those cases where he comes up, only has two pitches. Does he have a deep enough arsenal? He has, he has a variety of pitches, but it's all built around the changeup. He leans on it a lot, and it needs to be working for him to be effective. And so I think that's why... You look at the minor league numbers for Jordan Wicks, they won't blow you away. 355 ERA, 117 whip, 9.8 K per nine. Oh, solid numbers, but I wouldn't say spectacular numbers. But this was a spectacular debut, and and sometimes, you know, sometimes pitchers are better in the majors than they were in the minors. I would say Jordan Wicks is worth picking up wherever you need pitching help. I don't know that he's a must-add. I'm sure, like, if it's Cole Reagans versus Jordan Wicks, you're debating, then no contest. You go Cole Reagans. I mean, Jordan Wicks, if he gets shelled next time out, I'm not going to hesitate to drop him for the, the, the next flavor of the week. But right now, he's the flavor of the week, and he's highly available, and uh, I would say worth looking into. Again, Jordan Wicks, a first-round pick from back in 2021. Scott mentioned the numbers 
from the minors. And yeah, that changed up everything that I've read. That's the money pitch for him. But I thought it was interesting. He only used his curveball 9% in this debut. The spin rate, 2,881 RPM on that curveball. So there might actually be something there as like a second dominant pitch for uh, Jordan Wicks. He's 18% rostered. Looks like he is at the Cincinnati Reds this week. Their offense has been up and down in the second half, and they're actually much better against righties than they are against lefties. So it's it's a decent matchup. I don't know that I want to trust him, maybe outside of deeper leagues if you're really desperate, but he's an interesting well, pitcher. This is a fun detail about him, too, because you say the Reds are better against righties than lefties. Jordan Wicks has historically even as left-handed pitcher, been better against righties. He has reverse platoon splits because that changeup's so good. That would make sense, yeah. Uh, known for neutralizing opposite-handed hitters to, to the the point that some pitchers don't even throw a changeup against same-handed hitters. Wicks isn't like that. Like I said, the changeup is, is everything. But he does make for an interesting matchup case because of those reverse platoon splits. Let's compare Jordan Wicks to some other waiver wire pitchers from this weekend. And the first group includes Graham Ashcraft, who of course just kept it rolling on Sunday. Another quality start six and two thirds innings, two runs, five strikeouts. He is at home against the Cubs this week. Mike Clevenger, an awesome start against the A's seven innings, one run, 10 strikeouts in that one. Uh, Brandon Fott picked up his first win of his career, five and a third innings, two runs with five strikeouts. And in seven starts since returning from the minors, he has a 348 ERA and a 104 whip. And Hyunjin Ryu has pitched quite well for the Guardians. He has now made, I didn't write down how many starts, but the overall number is a 225 ERA, a 1.0 whip on the nose there. Uh, the problem, he is at Coors Field this week, so not great there. Uh, Scott, how do you rank that group? Ryu, Brandon Fott, Mike Clevenger, and Graham Ashcraft. I'm going to go Ashcraft dangerously, living <laughs> dangerously. Ashcraft number one, Clevenger two, Fott three, Ryu four. Ryu has yet to go six innings in a start, and you know that's a big deal to me. Um. And, you know, he's not a big strikeout guy at this stage of his career. That's a little concerning, too. Excellent control pitcher. He, he does look basically like the guy we saw prior to his latest Tommy John surgery, but that guy was pretty fringy himself. So Ryu's bringing up the rear here. Uh, even though I'm putting Ashcraft number one, he didn't do what I hoped he'd do in this start because remember I pointed out after his last one when he had, what, 10 strikeouts in that one? That it seems like the strikeouts are tied to his sinker usage when he throws the sinker more. We saw him throw it 16% of the time in that 10 strikeout effort. Uh, two turns earlier, he threw it 21% of the time, got seven strikeouts against the Marlins. I think it helps the cutter to play up. He threw only three sinkers in this game Sunday. Uh, so he's not committed to throwing. It doesn't seem like he's committed to throwing it more. It's just kind of... I don't know exactly what his plan is for it, but it doesn't seem like he plans to throw it more regularly based on what happened Sunday here. So that makes me wonder if the strikeouts are not on the rise, really, in which case all the underlying stats still look pretty scary for Graham Ashcraft. Still, it's hard to argue with the run of success he's been on when you're comparing him to other potential waiver wire pickups here. I also want to point out for Clevenger, who I did have as a sleeper because he was making two starts this past week, but I didn't have a lot of confidence in him. 
this was an eye-opening start in a lot of ways. I mean, not only did he allow just one hit in seven innings, had 10 strikeouts in seven innings, 21 swinging strikes, including 12 on his slider. In six starts now since returning from the IL for about with biceps inflammation, Mike Clevenger has a 231 ERA, an even one whip, 8.2K per nine. It was against Oakland. Definitely worth pointing out. Worst offensive baseball. But still, to see that many whiffs on the slider makes me wonder if there is something here. So it's it's... It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like I was saying for Jordan Wicks, where if you need pitching help, I'm sure there's not a lot out there. I, I think it's a fine time to make a play for Clevenger, but you should have a pretty quick. You you should have your finger on the trigger still if he looks, you know, if he turns back into a pumpkin at his next start, which is the more likely scenario. I'm not saying you drop anybody valuable for him, but uh, if you are stretching yourself for pitching help, if you are willing to stretch yourself for pitching help, then Clevenger, I think, has entered the discussion as somebody who deserves a look. And of all the names that we've mentioned so far, Clevenger does have the best matchup this week going up against the Tigers. They are 28th in Woba against right-handed pitching. Scott, would you put Wicks at the top of that list I just mentioned, ahead of Ashcraft, ahead of Clevenger? (sighs) Yeah, and I say that with some hesitance because... I don't know what his next match... Like, of the three, he's the one I'd least likely trust to have in my lineup in his next start. Knowing what Clevenger's matchup is, knowing the kind of role that Ashcraft's been on, Wicks is still... Seems like a total... He seems like a total wild card to me. So I'd be afraid to put him in my lineup, but just... You know, if that start goes well, how quickly will he enter into the uh, start-sit conversation for us? Probably pretty quickly. Let me see if I can remind myself how good the Cubs matchups are down the stretch. Yeah, they're they're one of the clubs that has the best pitching matchups down the stretch. So that's another good reason to have Wicks at the top of that priority list. One last question on the waiver wire pitchers here. In a shallower league, would you drop Hunter Green for any of them? So Hunter Green has made two starts since coming off the IL. He has allowed 13 earned runs. He's allowed... Eight walks, five homers in those two starts combined. There's absolutely no way you could trust him right now in your lineups. He is facing the Giants this week. He's in Oracle Park. So on paper, it's a good matchup. It's a good venue to pitch him. But again, I don't think we could trust him. He's 86% rostered. Uh, What do you think, Scott? In shallower leagues, drop Hunter Green for any of the names we've mentioned. So I do think this is a good example to bring up to provide context to this whole discussion because I don't think any of Jordan Hicks, Graham Ashcraft, or Mike Clevenger is I, I don't have high enough confidence in any of them to burn the high upside play in green. Obviously you can't start green right now, but it could all turn on a dime for him and then he's giving double digit strikeouts almost every time out in September. That, that, that is the scenario that could play out much easier for him than any of these guys we've been talking about. And so I'd be afraid to give him up, let him fall into somebody else's hands, and then I, I suffer twice over. I don't get the benefit of having green and somebody gets to damage me with green. That, that doesn't seem like an optimal scenario. So I, unless it's a scenario where you have to, you need someone else for your lineup, 
because you're right. You can't start green right now. But if it's just for a bench spot, I'd, I'd rather hold on to green. All right, I do have some other waiver wire pitchers, but I'll push that off to the side for now. I do want to get to my player of the weekend and, and talk about Parker Meadows of the Tigers. We mentioned him last week. He got promoted, and he's the brother of Austin Meadows, and uh, it was a pretty solid weekend here for him. He went one for two with two walks and a three-run walk-off homer on Friday. Electric stuff from him. And then went two for four with a stolen base on Saturday. He's played six games so far, so it's a very, very small sample size. But he is batting 300. He's got that homer, a steal, a 1040 OPS. And what I like most about Parker Meadows is the matchups this week. 9% rostered, seven games, all against right-handed pitching. So I would expect Parker Meadows to be in there for every one of those games. I don't see why... The Tigers wouldn't play him against right-handed pitching. They obviously want to see what this kid can do, and, you know, he's performed. Um, again, it's a small sample, but he does have nine strikeouts in the six games played, which is a 36% strikeout rate. He also is hitting the ball extremely hard so far, 93 mile per hour, average exit velocity, had some power and speed in the minors. I mentioned only 9% rostered. I think this is more of a deeper league play, Scott. You know, he was available in some of my 15-team, five outfielder leagues this weekend. But I think even in a 12-team, five-outfielder league, if you're just pretty desperate for an outfield play, given the seven right-handed pitchers this week, I like Parker Meadows quite a bit. Do you like Parker Meadows or will you Abreu more? Because Abreu is the one I put on, on my sleepers hitter, on my sleeper hitters list for this week. And he did not... It's <laughs> worth pointing out, the Red Sox faced two righties and lefty. This weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, two righties and lefty. Abreu sat against the lefty. He also sat against one of the two righties. Yep. The Red Sox face, depending on whether the Astros go six-man or five-man, they're either facing one lefty or zero lefties next week. So I expect Abreu to play a lot, but will it be as much as Meadows? Based on how they used him this weekend, I would guess no. I like the skill set more. Meadows has an element of speed that Abreu doesn't bring, but Abreu is a more disciplined hitter. I think the power is going to play better in the long run. So I lean Abreu, but there there is more of a playing time question there, I think, with him than for Meadows. So in all of my bids, I've got the backup bids going on on, on Sunday night. I had Parker Meadows ahead of Willie or Abreu, and it is because of the playing time. It's on it, this time of year, really looking for volume. And I, I think Parker Meadows should play. You know, maybe they give him off one game throughout the seven-day week just to, whatever, give him some rest. But, yeah, I think he's absolutely going to have more plate appearances this week. And I really like what I've seen so far. Um, yeah, it's tough with Abreu because the Red Sox, they have you know three great hitting outfielders right now. I mean, Duvall is red hot. Uh, Verdugo's yep. heated and, and up. He's Duval, like, it's worth pointing out before you dig into the Meadows and Abreu's of the world. Adam Duvall is himself is available in 50% of CBS Sports Leagues. Five home runs in seven games. Red Sox have great matchups this week. A lot of people listening in those three outfielder leagues aren't going to have to go as deep as Meadows and Abreu. But, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your thought there. No, no, it's all good. Um, I guess the point is I would take Meadows over Abreu if you're talking about a deeper league. I do agree on Duvall. I would say the same thing about Seiya Suzuki, who's... Yep. Really hot since returning to the Cubs lineup. He had that little, you know, mental break off for a couple of games. His last 16 games since returning to the lineup, he's hitting 389 with four homers, 15 runs, 11 RBI, just a 12% strikeout rate. He's 64% rostered and has seven games this week. A couple of tough pitchers in there Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Andrew Abbott. 
Um, but I would take Suzuki ahead of Parker Meadows. Who would you take between Adam Duvall and say Suzuki? For just this upcoming week? Yes. I have Duvall higher. Okay. But if you're committing to one of those two the rest of the season, I'm going to make this really complicated. I'm going to say Suzuki. Because I think I think Suzuki's the more talented player, and the Cubs have significantly better matchups than the Red Sox beyond this week. All right. Fair enough. So lots of outfielders there. Some names in shallower leagues, the deeper league ones, Parker Meadows, Willier, Abreu. Let's take our first break. And when we return, I'll mention those other waiver wire pitchers. I've got some other uh, waiver wire hitters from the weekend. We'll do that right after this. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today and a quick reminder that the Fantasy Football Today Draftathon is this week on Wednesday, August 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And they've been doing a great job raising money for St. Jude Children's Hospital. And if you want to help contribute, you can head to tinyurl.com slash donate, and you'll find some fun listings there on eBay. And if you're watching us live on YouTube, you can scan the QR code in the top right corner, and that will take you right to the website. And again, if you just want to watch the stream, it'll be live on YouTube, 4 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can uh, watch along with Adam and Dave and Jamie. They're going to have on a bunch of different guests and they're going to talk rankings and mock drafts and all that kind of fun stuff if you're prepping for fantasy football. So make sure to check it out this week, uh, Wednesday, August 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, the Fantasy Football Today Draftathon. Let's talk about some of those other waiver wire pitchers that I have here. And this next group includes Christopher Sanchez, who has turned in three straight quality starts. He was home against the Cardinals this weekend, where he allowed two runs over six innings with six strikeouts to zero walks. Cutter Crawford has turned in two solid starts in a row. Tough matchup against the Dodgers, too, where he allowed just two runs over five innings with seven strikeouts to one walk. And Patrick Sandoval seems like he gives us one of these starts I don't know, every four or five times out, and there's not much consistency, (laughs) but he did uh, face the Mets this weekend, and he allowed just one run over six innings with seven strikeouts. Anything on this group's got Patrick Sandoval, Cutter Crawford, and Christopher Sanchez. Well, I want to say with Sandoval, just when we think we're out, he pulls us back in, but I'm I'm not not really feeling tempted to be pulled back in. So I... I guess I guess that's not the right thing to say. Christopher Sanchez feels like what Ranger Suarez well, Sanchez feels like he could be what Ranger Suarez was down the stretch two years ago, like the um the sneaky waiver wire ad who was just a rock for your pitching staff down the stretch. Uh his ground ball rate since being called up, Christopher Sanchez, if that was if if that was a full season ground ball rate, like he had enough innings to qualify, it would be the second best ground ball rate among starting pitchers. Only Logan Webb's is better. So he has he has a skill that's known for limiting damage and keeping runs off the board. And he's been in quality start machines since getting called up. Good offense backing him. I think uh, I think Sanchez is a priority pickup. I like him even more than that previous group we talked about. I, I like Sanchez more than Ashcraft. I like him more than Jordan Wicks. Uh, He's, yeah, he's, like I said, a priority pickup for me. Crawford has been good. Yeah, his starts tend to be short, and so the utility for fantasy isn't quite there. But 
he gets swinging strikes and strikeouts at a nice clip and uh, is at least usable when he has the right matchups. The, the one I'm least trusting of these three is actually Sandoval. And what's funny about Sandoval is that he actually probably has the best matchup this week. He's at the Oakland A's and they are 28th in Woba against left-handed pitching. And, you know, we saw Cole Reagans is kind of in a category of his own, but he is a lefty and he dominated Oakland last week. So it wouldn't surprise me if Sandoval does have a good start this upcoming week. But it also wouldn't surprise me if he didn't. Also true. Let's get <laughs> let's get into this next group of pitchers from the weekend. Javier Assad, as we mentioned earlier, turned in a quality start in three of his last four outings. He was at the Pirates. He went seven innings with one run allowed, seven strikeouts in that one. Griffith Canning and David Peterson, they both pitched extremely well against each other on Sunday. Canning went seven innings. He allowed one run with nine strikeouts and 17 swinging strikes. David Peterson on the other side, seven innings, one run, eight strikeouts for him, 12 swinging strikes on 104 pitches. Any interest in this group, Assad, Canning, and Peterson? I've long had interest in Canning, and he's had stretches this year where he looked like he was about to break through. I mean, another great start here. What's what's interesting about this start for Canning is that Normally, when he gets a bunch of strikeouts, it's the slider leading the way. And this one, it was his fastball. 10 of his 17 whiffs came on the fastball. We haven't known that to be, well, I mean, looking at the season-long whiff rate, it's actually pretty good. It's up over 27%, which is good for a fastball. Every time he flashes a new weapon other than that slider, I, I, I get a little more excited. And obviously, he has room to, room to run here. He has runway with Shohei Otani being unavailable to pitch. By the way, this answers the question, I think, of... uh, It was a good question, whether Otani... Whether removing Otani from the rotation is going to mean the Angels go uh, go five-man, go with a traditional five-man going forward, which would be good news for all of their remaining pitchers, right? Lucas Giolito, he might actually get some two-star weeks again. Canning wasn't in the rotation until Shohei Otani went down. So it looks like they are going six-man, reinserting him here. Uh, so even though even though I have interest in Canning, even though he had a great start here at the Mets, overall it's bad news that he's in the rotation, I would say. It's a net negative for fantasy players on the whole. As I mentioned earlier with uh, Patrick Sandoval, the Angels are facing Oakland later this week. So if you're just looking for a matchup play, Griffin Canning looks like he is going to be at the Oakland A's later this week. Two names in the deepest leagues, and maybe you put a little asterisk next to them because they both face the Marlins, and obviously the Marlins are a pretty good matchup, but Yoan Adon, 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 that's A-D-O-N, Yoan Adon, a dominant start at the Marlins this weekend, six shutout innings with three strikeouts, he throws a bunch of different pitches, uh, has not been very good in the minors so far, but he's 2% rostered, and guess who he's facing this week? The Miami Marlins. Once again, his teammate Jake Irvin has turned in three straight quality starts, and he allowed just one run over six innings with three strikeouts at the Marlins as well. 8% rostered. Who does he face this week? You guessed it. The Miami Marlins. Scott, anything on these two in the deepest of leagues? I actually did pick up a Doan in an NL-only league. I imagine... It's the sort of decision I'll come to regret when he has a blow-up start, inevitably. 
But in his last six starts, Yoan Adone has a 291 ERA, a 112 whip, very low strikeout rate. I think he's getting it done because he also has a very high fly ball rate. So as long as he keeps the ball in the yard, he's able to limit damage. But that, you know, that that is a that is a boomer bust profile, especially when you don't have a lot of strikeout potential. So I wouldn't have a lot of faith in it lasting. Uh, Irvin has been surprisingly strong here as well. His last three starts, a 145 ERA, 112 whip, 7.7K per nine, a little better than a Don, a Don, but still not great. But what's what, what stands out for Irvin, aside from the performance, is now in four straight starts. He's seen his velocity up basically across the board. Um, it still has only led to 7.7K per nine in three starts, so I'm still thinking... Probably not somebody we want to put much faith in. But I am taking note of Irvin every time he starts now to see how long he can keep this going. All right, let's slide over to the waiver wire hitters. And we already spoke about some of the outfielders, Adam Duvall and Seiya Suzuki, who we are excited about right now. Uh, DJ LeMayhew, a bit of a power surge here. Something I did not see coming for him. He went three for four with a double dong on Friday and now has four home runs over his past five games. He's let off 10 straight for the Yankees. Not that that matters too much because their lineup has been very underwhelming um, in the second half of the season. But he's 42% rostered. He has triple eligibility, first, second, and third. Seven road games this week. Scott, any interest in DJ LeMahieu? Uh, I think that would only be an as-needed situation i don't i don't you know i've been saying this for a couple years now i don't know do you think he has much left anymore are you basically out on lemayhew as a fantasy asset i was basically out up until this recent stretch i don't really know where you're hot and now you're back in no not necessarily it's so so over the last three seasons dj lemayhew has a 720 ops right since the since the pandemic shortened season where he was amazing, finished third in MVP voting. Since then, he has a 720 OPS. And I just think that, I think that says it all right there. I know he's, you, you and Chris have at times pointed out, oh, he had injury, an injury for this stretch. So that's why he struggled and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I think he's just, I think he's just a 35-year-old who never had that much power in the first place. And now... This is what the end of his career looks like. He's still signed for three more years, too. Oh my gosh. Oh, God. I mean, look, how much is he making? That's just my Yankee pessimism, by the way. I mean, good for oh, him. He's making like he's making like 15 million here. Oh, <laughs> he's gosh. probably he's a fine utility player. I'm not saying he brings nothing to the table, but for right. fantasy. Oh, no. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's just another guy. This is kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy how eerily similar his OPS has been every each of the past three years, 711, 734, 717. And his strikeout rate has spiked in a big way this year, up to 22% after he wasn't over 14% in any season since 2015. So that's a pretty bad sign for a, an aging utility player, 35 years old now, with TJ LeMahieu. Two catchers, Mitch Garver, someone we talk about. A lot recently. He had two more home runs this weekend. He has three home runs in his past five games, and he is 39% rostered. He's got six games this upcoming week. And Gary Sanchez, two more home runs this weekend. 
still just waiting for Gary Sanchez to slow down. It's kind of crazy. He has 18 home runs in 68 games. 18 homers that rank sixth at the catcher position. And among catchers with at least 200 plate appearances, Gary Sanchez's 279 isolated power is first among all catchers. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Scott, the Padres have the number one hitter matchups this week. So let's say if you're just thinking about this week, would you rather have Mitch Garver or Gary Sanchez? I would rather have Gary Sanchez. Yeah, number one hitter matchups. They have one more game than the Rangers. Uh, Garver, I, you, you can't reliably count on him to be in the lineup against righties. So, yeah, I think Sanchez is the better play. And he never lost his ability to hit home runs. He just lost his ability to hit. Honestly, the year he's having this year isn't unlike the year he had in 2021 when he batted 204 with 23 homers and 117 games for the Yankees. It's just we had some we had much higher expectations for Sanchez then. So it feels like a big surprise that he's doing this now. And it's so crazy because it felt like he was out of baseball earlier this season, right? Like he was done. He was just kind of bouncing around. He signed on with the Mets for a couple of days and then he signed on with the Padres. And I remember making jokes about him DHing for them because they just they had no other options at that point. And he's hitting for power. If nothing else, he's kind of doing mm-hmm. Gary Sanchez things. And I was listening to the Padres broadcast earlier on Sunday and uh, they mentioned he's using a new bat this year, that axe handle bat. So, oh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe the, all the rage. That's what's the helped handle bat. That's what's helped uh, Gary Sanchez potentially this season. A few deeper league infielders. Josh Rojas went two for five with a home run on Saturday. He picked up another steal on Sunday. And over his last 14 games, he's batting 367 with three home runs and four steals. The Mariners have the third best hitter matchups this week, according to Scott. Uh, Davis Schneider is someone I know that you and Chris spoke about the week that I was out. Partying with Metallica. Uh, David Schneider went three for three with a home run on Saturday and then hit another home run on Sunday. There's current injuries to both Bo Bichette and Matt Chapman. So maybe David Schneider gets a chance this week and uh, they've got three games in Coors Field. I think in a deeper league, he's kind of interesting. The Rockies also promoted a prospect named Hunter Goodman on Sunday. He went two for four with a run and an RBI. He's 23 years old. This season in the minors, he hit 34 home runs with a 918 OPS. The uh, limited sample in AAA, where I could see the StatCast data, it looks pretty good. 91.7 average exit velocity. I, I do think there's some power here for Hunter Goodman. Scott, anything, any interest in uh, this group? Goodman, David Schneider, and Josh Rojas. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of excited about Schneider when he came up and had that nine-hit weekend for the Blue Jays fresh out of the minors, and then they hardly played him after that. So I, I think the playing time is still... Very much in question for him. He started back-to-back games over the weekend, but he had gone one, two, three, four games without having a start. He'd only started like one of the previous 10 games before those back-to-back starts over the weekend. Um, But he was a player who showed great on-base skills in the minors in addition to having power. Uh, I don't know where all these multi-hit games are coming from for Schneider, but I would like to see more of him. I'm just not confident he's going to get it. I think it might be a little more possible that Hunter Goodman does because the Rockies really haven't had an answer at first base since trading CJ Crone. We've seen a lot of 
Elahiris Montero there, who's not very good. Michael Tolia, also not very good. Goodman, you know, you mentioned he had the 34 homers in the minors this year, 36 in the minors last year. Didn't get a lot of prospect hype because he was kind of Evan Gattisy, like he was a catcher originally, (laughs) but he wasn't good enough to stay a catcher, but he wasn't really nimble enough to play anywhere else either. Uh, So he's kind of positionless, first base, Maybe he'll be able to handle that well enough. We'll see how much he actually plays. But the power is legit, and he's going to have the benefit of Coors Field. So in deeper Roto Leagues, I I think he's of interest. Both he and Schneider are of interest. But between the two, I think I see a clear path to at-bats for for Goodman. I do kind of like Josh Rojas, too, who I threw in there, at, at least for this upcoming week. They do have two lefties on the schedule, so... Not sure if he'll play in those games, but he's hot right now. That Mariners lineup is, they're all hot. So uh, I wouldn't mind getting a little piece of that. Again, that's deeper leagues. He was available in some of my uh, 15-team leagues here over the weekend. Three other names. These are even deeper. I mean, we're talking AL, NL only. Are you ready for this name, Scott? Carter Keyboom. He went one for three with a two-run homer on Friday. A former top prospect with the Nationals. He's been out with injury the past couple of years. Uh, He he has two home runs in five games with the Nats, and looks like they're going to give him an opportunity to play down the stretch, see what he could do. Lennon Sosa started all three games this weekend, even with Tim Anderson back. So uh, similarly, I think the White Sox want to see what they have in him, and he hit two home runs this weekend. And then a gentleman named Nick Martini, who uh, is on the Cincinnati Reds, he went two for three with a double dong on Friday, three for four with two RBI on Saturday. He's a journeyman, 33 years old, Left-handed hitting outfielder. I don't know how long he's going to stick around, but he had a big weekend, yeah. Scott. Anything on Martini, Sosa, and Carter Kibu? I can't really imagine picking up any of these guys outside of uh, an AL or NL only league. I mean, Keeboom was he, he did he did emerge as a top prospect one year, but he was kind of a one-hit wonder in the minors, if my memory serves me correctly. I guess he had a couple good years back-to-back, but... You know, this year in 44 games in the minors, Kiboom slashed just 256, 362. Now, base percentage is pretty good, actually. 256, 362, 411. So I'm I'm not optimistic that he's going to be of much use other than just give you some bats in an NL only league, which not many people play in. <laughs> Martini might be interesting, but he's clearly just a fill in, and there's a reason he's been mostly confined to the minors through age 33. Team named Tuesday, Carter Keboom goes the dynamite. Not the first time I've heard that one. Ah, alrighty. Uh, he was all the rage back when he first got called up. I don't know if you were doing this fantasy. Oh, what year was that? I am well aware, Scott. 20, my, 2019. My first year playing in the NFBC main event, Carter Keboom got called up, and I thought he was going to be awesome. And I yeah. spent something like... 25% of my fab budget on Carter Keboom. It did not work out very well. It feels longer ago than 2019. If you had told me it was 2013. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, it feels like it was ages ago. Let's yeah. talk about some news and notes from the weekend. Bo Bichette left Sunday's game due to right quad tightness. Doesn't sound good for this upcoming week. Uh, have you seen anything else, Scott? What do you think about starter sit on Bo Bichette? I, I mean, given the nature of the injury, I'd be... I'd be um, pessimistic. 
Make sure you have a backup ready, basically. Yeah. But we'll 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 have to hear more. Yep. Uh, Rafael Devers out of the lineup Sunday after getting hit by a pitch on his right wrist on Saturday. X-rays came back negative, and it's another it's a similar situation. It's make sure you have a, a backup ready to go just in case for this week, because uh, I would say at the least, I would expect Devers to miss a couple of games. Well, the Red Sox, what I've seen from those on the Red Sox beat is that they're hopeful he can play tomorrow, okay. mon- being, meaning Monday. So that doesn't mean he will. I, I would be optimistic about Devers. I'm pessimistic about Bichette. I'm optimistic about Devers. Okay. So make sure to check the lineups on Monday uh, once they're out, and if Devers is in, good to go. Make sure you keep him in your lineups. Pete Alonso was hit by a pitch in the uh, head-slash-neck area on Saturday, but passed concussion protocol and was in the lineup on Sunday. Some, I guess, rumors, news from the weekend. Pete Alonso sounds like the Mets are going to shop him this offseason. Like, pretty legit. I don't... It's so interesting because he's a homegrown talent and living here in New York, he, he seems beloved by Mets fans. I don't know why the Mets wouldn't want to sign him to an extension outside of like maybe he's asking for some kind of exorbitant amount of money that they don't want to give him. Um, But that's kind of weird, isn't it? He's good. He's really good. Yeah. You know, he's a free agent after next year, right? Yes. Is that right? Wow, that came up quickly for him. Yeah, he is older than Uh, you would think, though. I think he's pushing 30. Yeah, and there's that. And obviously... He's confined to first base, and I, I, I kind of wonder if they want, if they think first base is the best spot for Brett Beatty, and that's factoring into this decision, because uh, there have always been questions about Beatty's defense. But just, I, I don't know. I'm, I think, like, the way they were talking after, give, uh, after trading away Scherzer and Verlander is that they're out for next year, too. Like, next year is a rebuild year. And so maybe they're just thinking this is a big trade asset to help us reload our system. And it might just depend on what they get in return for Alonzo, whether they actually go through with it. But of course they are New York and you're right. He's been a star level player there. And if any team can afford him, you would think it's them. So it is a bit perplexing. I agree. I know the Milwaukee Brewers were linked to Pete Alonzo. There was a story that came out earlier in the week from, I think Ken Rosenthal, that they were, um, the Brewers were poking around at the trade deadline. So that could be a team uh, this offseason to watch with Pete Alonso. Yandy Diaz has missed two straight with a sore left forearm. Jonathan Aranda has started both games in his place. Uh, I guess we have to find out more. Same thing with Yandy Diaz. It's like when he's in the lineup, he's amazing, but we've got to see if he's good to go on Monday. Uh, scary moment on Saturday as Chase Silseth was hit in the head by a throw from his teammate, Trey Cabbage. Thankfully, Silseth was released from the hospital and has not been diagnosed with a concussion. My guess is that he won't make his next start, but I, I don't know that for sure, Scott. Have you? Oh, maybe, they'll, maybe the Angels will go with a five-man rotation after all. They might. They could do that. I Yeah, I had Chase Silseth as a sleeper pitcher for this week, scheduled to go against the Athletics. I have since removed him from that list. So I would definitely, I would plan on starting someone else for sure. Jared Kelnick is set to begin a rehab assignment at AAA this week. He's been out since July 19th with a fractured left foot. He's 56% rostered. If you have an available spot in your uh, IL, if you want to stash Jared Kelnick, the Dodgers optioned Ryan Pepio back to AAA this weekend. It sounds like he could be back up this week to serve as either a fifth starter or a bulk reliever. 
Is this surprising, Scott, or is this just kind of roster manipulation for the Dodgers? Uh, I, more the latter. I, I know I was pretty excited about Pepio last week, and I still am. But it does seem like the Dodgers are are taking this unorthodox approach of kind of rotating him, Gavin Stone, and Emmett Sheehan through rather than just sticking with any one of them. And so that makes them all pretty unusable. But hopefully hopefully one of them emerges. If one of them, my, my bet would be Pepio, if, if any one of them is. Speaking of the Dodgers, Tony Gonsolin was transferred to the 60-day IL and could need surgery that would affect his 2024 availability. You mentioned the name there, Gavin Stone. He was recalled and he pitched six innings in relief on Sunday. He allowed four earned runs in his last eight games, seven starts in the minors. Gavin Stone had a 285 ERA and a 102 whip over a strikeout per inning. But as you just mentioned, it sounds like you like Pepio more than Gavin Stone. Yeah, I do. He's still allowed three home runs in this one, right? Yep. Yeah. There's I, I have not been impressed by what I've seen from Stone at the major league level this year, as good as his minor league numbers were last year. Lars Newbar is expected to be activated from the IL within the next week. He's been out since August 17 after taking a foul tip off the pelvic region. Cabert Ruiz is likely to return to the Nats lineup on Monday. He's been dealing with some lightheadedness after taking a foul tip off his catcher's mask. Matt Chapman left Sunday due to an inflamed right middle finger. And uh, mm-hmm. he hasn't been great this year, so I I probably wouldn't risk it. Make sure you have a replacement ready to go for Matt Chapman as well. How did Matt Chapman get that inflamed middle finger, I wonder? Who did he inflame with that middle finger, I wonder? I don't know. I don't know. Middle finger injuries are always funny to me. <laughs> <you know? laughs> More to come. stay tuned on the Matt Chapman saga Michael Brantley could be cleared to return to the Astros on Tuesday and he is only 12% rostered two questions here Scott any interest for fantasy in Michael Brantley and does this affect Yiner Diaz it's like every week we have a new obstacle for Yiner Diaz it's annoying and every week he leaps right over it let's go (laughs) I think Dusty Baker's in now um I noticed he got a couple starts. Was it a couple starts at catcher over the weekend, Diaz? Double check that. Fucking out of my behind here. Um, he started Thursday at catcher. He started Saturday at catcher. So, I don't know. Baker's... Baker? Who calls him Baker? Everybody calls him Dusty. Dusty seems to want to see him in the lineup. So with Yiner Diaz, he didn't start on Sunday, but he started the previous two, four, six, eight, nine games before that. So there you go. And he came off the bench Sunday and went two for two with a homer. So that's all he does, baby. That's all he does. Uh, Two players who went to the IL this weekend worth mentioning Jake Cronenworth with a right wrist fracture and Michael Conforto with a left hamstring strain. Elliot Ramos was recalled. Let's take our final break. When we return, I've got some starter sit questions and then a few leftovers we'll do that right after this welcome back into fantasy baseball today scotty let's go rapid fire we got to keep these answers short and sweet starter sit these fringe two-star pitchers framber valdez is better than a french pitcher um and these aren't two-star pitchers i don't know why i said that but he threw seven no hit innings this weekend probably should have mentioned this earlier did have five walks 16 swinging strikes on 114 pitches um 
but he has been so up and down. He's made eight starts in the second half, a 5.33 ERA, a 1.22 WHIP, and that includes two starts where he allowed no hits. So, yeah, mm-hmm. some of those other ones have been pretty bad here, Scott. Quick thoughts on Framber Valdez. In the nine no-hit innings, remember he he made the curveball his most used pitch. In these seven no-hit innings, he threw the curveball 14% of the time. So, like, even usage-wise, pitch usage, we can't – it's hard to make sense of. But, I, you know, two starts this week, you said, Valdez. Um, I, I'm not even sure that's true. It's going to depend on nah, whether the – I don't think it is. I, I think he's one start against Boston. Yeah, if the, if the Astros have any two-star pitcher this week, it's Javier. But uh, I'm not sure if they're going six-man or five-man, so it might be no one. Anyway, uh, probably start Valdez, yeah. Okay, Let's slide over to, to Joe Ryan, who made his return. He was facing the Rangers, where he allowed one run over five innings. He had seven strikeouts with 12 swinging strikes on 80 pitches. You know, pretty successful return, I would say. Would you start him at the Rangers this week? That's back-to-back starts against the same offense. They've Not been a, a, little bit, a little bit cold recently, but overall, they've been good against right-handed pitching. I think Ryan is fixed, though. Those seven starts prior to going on the I.L. where he gave up like 17 home runs, we came to find out the groin injury was messing up his delivery. And he looked great on his rehab start, looked great in this return. Uh, I'm starting right. Mitch Keller has turned in back-to-back dominant starts. He was facing the Cubs this weekend where he threw eight shutout innings with six strikeouts. The velocity was down, so something to monitor with Mitch Keller. He is at the Royals this week. Starter sit. Start. There's three pretty good starts in a row, two great ones. And, and obviously, that's a great matchup. Dylan Cease was clobbered by the Oakland A's this weekend. He allowed nine runs, eight of those earned over four and a third innings. He's now rocking a 487 ERA and a 146 whip on the, on the season. I think there's no way we could start him at the Baltimore Orioles, right? Well, you're right about him being globby. I said he wasn't. You said he was. You were right. And I would prefer to sit him against the Orioles. Yep, same here. Uh, Hugh Darvish has been uh, pretty globby himself all season. He allowed five runs over four innings, and he is at the Cardinals this weekend. They are sixth in Woba against right-handed pitching. Oh, gosh. That's somebody who's been up and down. Uh, Like, he feels like a random number generator himself. I don't love it, honestly. And that's a middling matchup. I could go either way. It depends what my options are, but I don't think it's a high priority to get Darvish in your lineup. Julio Arias was on a great stretch recently, and then what happened? Hit hard by the Boston Red Sox. He allowed six runs, three home runs over six innings, and uh, this week he's home against the Atlanta Braves, number one in Woba against lefties. Probably a lot, too. Yeah. But it is Julio Arias. Eileen, yes. Eileen, talent over matchup, usually. You don't like it, Frank. Uh, You can read it all over your face. You don't like it. I kind of feel like outside of the top 10 to 15 pitchers, there is not a single pitcher I would want to play against the Atlanta Braves. So uh, I don't have Julio. I think I have Arias more like a top 25 starting pitcher, personally. So uh, if you have a better option, if, if... in a points league, if you want to go with some volume with like a two-star pitcher or something like that, it, I don't think it's crazy. Uh, James Paxton crazy. on the other side was facing the Dodgers. Obviously, it's a pretty tough matchup, but he's he's kind of going through it right now. Four and a third innings, four runs allowed, 
five walks to four strikeouts, and in the second half, eight starts for Paxton. He has a 582 ERA and a 166 whip. He's at the Royals this week. That's a pretty good matchup, Scott. What do we do? Well, I'm, I'm I was all geared up to say sit him, but yes, that is a great. That is such a good matchup that maybe Paxton does deserve one last chance. Somebody tweeted at me. I forget who it was. Can't give you credit. Sorry. Uh, after I was talking about Paxton last time, saying once they began going with a traditional five-man rotation, that's when he started to fall apart. Like He started getting less rest in between starts. And I looked it up. So in 14 starts with five or more days of rest, five or six days of rest, basically, Paxton has a 295 ERA. In four starts with only four days rest, 939 ERA. Um, So there's probably something to that. His fastball was down 1.5 in this start against the Dodgers. Also not what you want to see. But I'm inclined to give him one last ride against the Royals. Would you start? Here's the good one for you, Frank. Would you start Paxton against the Royals or Arias versus the Braves? Uh, you stole my next question, Scott. I'm going to ask you because I don't want to answer it. <laughs> I I would probably start Paxton, but I don't feel too great about either. Hunter Brown had a bounce back start at the Tigers. He allowed two runs over five innings with nine strikeouts. He's still 87% rostered, but only 44% started on CBS. He is home against the Yankees this week. Their lineup is not great. Uh, thoughts on Hunter Brown? Yeah, I was pretty much riding him off. He had a great start this weekend. That's a good matchup. I lean yes on that one. I, I That is one there where I would definitely start Arias over him if it came down to that specific choice. For, for the few people that impacts who have both Hunter <laughs> Brown and Julio Arias and no obvious leaning on either. I say Arias over Brown, but Brown's an okay start with that matchup. Last name on this list, Bailey Ober hit hard on Sunday against the Rangers. He allowed five runs over four innings and in five starts in August, a 563 ERA, a 150 whip. He's at the Rangers again this week. So back to back facing the same offense. Um, I think it's a pretty clear sit for me. Uh, I agree. Six straight starts, less than six innings for Ober, who is well over his previous high in innings. And I imagine the Twins are going to take it easy on him all the way home. Pitching standouts, pitching leftovers from the weekend. Uh, We've got this first group here. Garrett Cole strengthened his Cy Young case at the Tampa Bay Rays. Seven and two-thirds innings. Two runs allowed with 11 strikeouts on the other side of that. Zach Eflin put up a season-high 11 strikeouts against the Yankees. Kodai Senga turned in his third double-digit strikeout start of the season. Six and two-thirds innings. Two runs, 10 strikeouts with... 21 swinging strikes against the Angels. And Sonny Gray, another strong start up against the Rangers. Seven innings, one run, four strikeouts. Fun fact on Sonny Gray. He has a 286 FIP this year. That is tied for second among qualified starting pitchers with Kevin Gosman trailing only Spencer Strider. Any thoughts on Sonny Gray, Senga, Eflin, and Garrett Cole? That is a funny, funny fact. That is a fun fact. On Sonny Gray. See, that's why I got confused. Uh, I did want to point out with Zach Eflin. So of his 17 swinging strikes in this 11 strikeout game, seven came on the sweeper, which he threw 13% of the time. That's a pitch he hardly was throwing prior to this start. It was like 2% was his usual usage on the sweepers. 13% and they got seven whiffs. If he has a new weapon there developing, that 
that could make him pretty special. Pitching standouts part two. Brandon Woodruff had his best start of the season up against the Padres. Six innings, one run, 11 strikeouts there. Spencer Schrider, dominant at the Giants. Seven innings, one run, nine strikeouts with 24 swinging strikes. Max Fried had a bounce back start at the Giants as well. Six innings, two runs, eight strikeouts with 12 swinging strikes. And Logan Gilbert, a strong outing up against the Royals. He allowed just one run over seven innings with seven strikeouts and 16 swinging strikes. Anything to add on Gilbert, Freed, Strider, and you know what I just thought of? Gilbert Godfried. That was funny. Gilbert Freed. Uh, Spencer Strider and Brandon Woodruff. Yeah, so Woodruff and Freed both looked more like themselves. And I'm I'm going to mention a guy here who I don't think you have in the rundown, but it's it's probably even more notable is, is Carlos Rodon. He only lasted four and two-thirds innings at the Rays, but he struck out seven. He had 18 swinging strikes on 84 pitches. It was the most Rodon-like Carlos Rodon has looked at in any start this season. Uh, interestingly, he threw 52% sliders in this one versus the usual 30%. And the slider's been, like the slider entering this game had a 45% whiff rate. The slider has actually been more effective than last year, while the fastball's been less effective than last year. So maybe he's figured that out. He's like, I got to throw more sliders. It worked against the Rays. It was just a short outing. But I I have some hope for Carlos Rodon after this one. Uh, Carlos Rodon, the problem I noticed with him, the matchup this week at the Houston Astros they are third in Woba against left-handed pitching. So, yeah, you know, I'm not saying you have to start him yet, right. but I'm saying there's hope. Pitching standouts part three: Yuri Perez, another strong start, six innings, one unearned run with seven strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes on 76 pitches. That is just a great percentage of swinging strikes. Tyler Glass now a bounce back start up against the Yankees, where he threw six shutout with four strikeouts. Did you know Kyle Bradish is third in the American League in ERA? Well. He threw another quality start this weekend. He had eight strikeouts. His ERA is now down to 303 on the year. Uh, Freddie Peralta kept it rolling this weekend as well. Five and a third innings, two runs, nine strikeouts. And his last six starts, a 175 ERA, .86 whip, 59 strikeouts over 36 innings for Freddie Peralta. Anything on him, Bradish, Glasnow, and Yuri Perez? I would say for this group, I mean, Peralta just enjoy it. Just continuing to enjoy it while it's happening. I, I have no idea. I don't. I have no idea what's changed for him from earlier this season when he was struggling so badly. But he's clearly lighting it up right now, and we've seen him do that before. So, just enjoy it. Bradish. I. I. I still think Bradish belongs in the glob, even though his ERA is now down to three hundred three, and and so part of that worries me. Like, okay, when is when is the tide going to turn here for this globby pitcher? But, I mean, obviously, practically speaking, you just have to enjoy that while it lasts, too. Um, there was something interesting with his pitch selection. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, so he threw his slider more, and it got 10 of his 17 whiffs. And I know that that pitch has good metrics, like stuff plus-wise. Yep. So that's probably a step in the right direction for Bradish. I'm, uh, the reason I'm calling him Globby is, you know, his his actual strikeout rate's pretty ordinary, not bad, but 
not great either. Last group here, Max Scherzer with a vintage performance at the Minnesota Twins. Seven innings, two runs, 10 strikeouts. Zach Wheeler posted his fourth double-digit strikeout start of the season. He allowed just one run over seven innings with 10 strikeouts there. Aaron Dola, two great starts in a row. I'm sorry, Scott. I know you want him to struggle so you can get him at a discount next year. Uh, seven yep. shutout with one hit, one walk, nine strikeouts for Nola. And Luis Castillo, a great start Sunday against the Royals. Seven shutout with six strikeouts there. Um, you know, the old Wiley Vets, Luis Castillo, Nola, well, uh, Wheeler, and Max Scherzer. I don't know if this is actually encouraging or not for Nola, but in his last 10 starts, he has a 394 ERA. Pretty high, but below four. 112 whip, 10.4K per nine. Uh, Scherzer has looked like retro Scherzer, Scherzer ever since joining the Rangers, basically. So I think that's fine to just assume that's who he is going forward. Wheeler, this is definitely encouraging. Last seven starts for Wheeler, 251 ERA, 0.88 whip. 9.4K per nine. Just a few quick numbers here from uh, the hitter side of things. Some standouts from the weekend. I did want to give a shout out to Teoscar Hernandez, who looks pretty hot right now. He hit uh, three more home runs this weekend. And in the month of August, he has an OPS over 1,000. Otani played, obviously, uh, this weekend, even following the UCL diagnosis. He had three hits, including two steals. And Corbin Carroll became the fourth rookie ever to hit 20-plus home runs and 40-plus steals in a season, joining Mike Trout, Mitchell Page, and Tommy Agee? I think that's how you say that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I definitely know how to say that guy's name, and I definitely should know how to say that guy's name. The call to the bullpen, a few updates from this weekend for the Angels. Carlos Estevez picked up two saves. Uh, good to see from him. He's now up to 28 saves. You know, it's been a little bit scary recently for Carlos Estevez, but uh, look good this weekend. For the D-backs on Friday, Paul Seawald was unavailable. Kevin Ginkle picked up his fourth save, and then on Saturday, Seawald was back. He had a one-run lead. He gave up two runs, and the D-backs wind up losing in extra innings. And then on Sunday, Seawald was unavailable once again. Ryan Thompson picked up his first save of the year. For the Mariners, Seawald's former team on Friday, Andres Munoz, did run into some trouble, but picked up his ninth save. And then on Sunday, he struck out the side for his 10th save. I, I feel like we could say this for both teams. The Mariners and D-backs, it feels like they have had a save opportunity every night or every day since making that trade. It's just like Seawald and Munoz are just getting so many opportunities right now. It is. Mm. It's crazy stuff. And, and Munoz has had his ups and downs, but eight for 10 in saves since the trade. Yeah. He's... You know, I think he's been mostly what we'd hoped he'd be in fantasy. For the Red Sox on Saturday, Kenley Jansen was nursing a hamstring injury, so John Schreiber picked up his first save. And then on Sunday, mentioned this earlier, for the Rangers, Aroldis Chapman did get the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up a run on two walks and a hit, took his fifth-blown save of the year. But I do think Aroldis Chapman is the guy for now. To stream or not to stream on Monday... You know, we have nearly a full slate of games Monday, Scott. I think it's 14 games, so yep, it's going to be a, a busy night for the boys. And then here. there are only three games on Thursday. Oh, oof. All right, well, 
Might have to have the Welsh on a little fantasy feud this coming Thursday night. Uh, wait a second. Four games. Four games on Thursday. Still going to have to do something crazy. <laughs> Four games. <laughs> on uh, on Monday, we have, I think, Brian Wu against the Oakland A's. It's probably mm. the top option. Yes, sir. Yes, this sir. Is probably too risky, right? Like Severino at the Tigers. I don't trust Severino. I'd be more likely to start Johan Oviedo at KC. Okay. Mm. Not that I love that, but right. he kind of feels like a random number generator, but you know his good starts have been really good, and that's a great matchup. I don't really love any of these other ones. Like, if I could trust Kyle Harrison to go five innings, I'd like him against the Reds, but he might not even go four innings. Right. So it's mostly Brian Wu and Johan Oviedo on Monday. On Tuesday, we've got... Dean Kramer up against the White Sox. We have, ah, I mean, Cole Reagan's, duh. He's the guy versus the Pirates. Cole Reagan, obviously pick him up. He's more than a streamer, but uh, he is number one amongst both Monday and Tuesday. Um, So I said Kramer against the White Sox. I I like Brandon Williamson at the Giants. That's my guy. Yeah, he's a distant distant third for me on this list. There's something to this. I said third. I said third instead of third because my next word was going to be four. <laughs> and I did that a minute ago. I don't know. Trying to crack the code here. Yeah. Anyway, Reagan's <laughs> Kramer, and then a distant third is Williamson. All right. A little bit of a longer episode today, but obviously lots of news with the Felix Bautista. Lots to recap from the weekend. We're going to wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. 